0: reading from, I'm um, hearing later from um, uh, Matthew, that, uh, Matthew chapter 11 and reading from verses 25 to uh, 30 which is on um, page 977 um, in the church bibles. At that time Jesus said, I praise you Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.
1: As Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, Uh, let me pray for us as we come to look at these words together. Uh, Lord Jesus, these words are, it's an extraordinary promise. Uh, and I pray please that you would help us to hear what it is that you're offering to each of us this morning. And I pray that you give us the humility to take hold of it. And I ask that in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, over the last a few weeks we've been thinking about uh, work and a theo- trying to get a theology where What does the Bible say about this activity that we give most of our lives to? Not just the, the paid employment that we have, uh, but all the activities that we get up to when we're not leisuring, if that's the word I think it is, but you know what I mean. So it might be the work that we're paid to do, um, or the million other things that we must do from parenting to vacuuming, to being a, a good neighbour in our community and doing things for other people. Uh, we thought about how we both love and hate work in equal measure, uh, and thought a bit about what the Bible says, the reason, for that, the reason that's our experience. Uh, we thought that God made us to work, that work is good and has dignity, and yet work is broken because of our fall. Uh, from knowing God, because we 've rejected him, uh, the, the, the good thing that he 's given to us to do is broken frustrated we 'll always have a, a bigger vision of the work that we can accomplish than that which we 're even able to achieve. We thought about the purpose of work and how, as Christians, because god 's given us the work, we work for His glory now uh, by serving others uh, why Thought about why work is way, way more than just a, a necessary evil to get us to the weekend or to the next holiday, uh, but why it's full of, why it's full of purpose and meaning, uh, as we do it under the lordship of Jesus. Uh, last week we thought we began to think about rest and the importance of rest and what rest is in the Bible. This thing called Sabbath that God has, uh, this sanctuary in time that God has built into the pattern of creation. Uh, We thought about how God's given it to us so that we can rest from our work, remember that he's the God who completes things, that we're to trust him, uh, and to remember he's the one who redeems us and will redeem us. Well, this week we're going to think about uh, that a bit more, uh, to dig in a bit more into into that idea of, of rest and what the Bible means by rest. We're going to think about how we can be liberated even this morning, not just in the new creation but this morning, from the slavery and the burden and the the weariness of our work. See, like many of the things, the the good things that God gives us, the, the Bible says that work can become a disordered good thing. It can capture more of our hearts than God intended us to do. That we might even love work too much or, or worship work. Now, you might say, there's no way that I'm someone that loves work. That might be true for people like, I don't know, Elon Musk, who sleeps in his office, such as his obsession with his work, or uh, maybe an apprentice candidate desperate for success. But let's be honest, we're all... We all, mostly, most of us breathe a sigh of relief at Friday evening, don't we, with a, a day off that's coming, or two days off, if you're in a job like that. Now, we might not view work with the kind of significance that Elon Musk has, but I think with a few simple questions, what we'll see is, I think, that work might just become disordered. It occupies a wrong place in our lives. How subtly we can ask of work way too much. See, often, if you think about it, we say to our work, "Work, what kind of work will fulfil me or give me self-worth? What what work will give me the money I need for security or give my kids the best opportunities in life? Uh, What work will make my parents proud or parents, what work are you fearful of your children ending up doing? How can I make sure my kids do a job that will fulfill their potential? What work will I most enjoy, make my life most easy or most comfortable? What work will get me respect or honour that means people make much of me, that I'm known as someone with significance? What work will give me real purpose and satisfaction, will be a worthwhile job to do? See, we're not far away from Elon Musk, really, are we? We're using work to answer any of those questions. To put it another way, we ask of work, what work will give me rest? Which is what we'll see Jesus is asking us to ask him for this morning. See, we saw last week that God has built a sanctuary in time that the Bible calls the Sabbath. So that we might remember that we're created and dependent on the God who completes things. And we might remember the God who rescues his people. But those Sabbath days in the Bible were only ever meant to point to the true rest that we're really made to enjoy, which is relationship with Jesus. Uh, that's in those verses that Ben read to us. Look down at sentence 20, uh, five, uh, 28 with me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you Sabbath, is what he says. I will give you rest. Jesus, the Bible says, and Jesus says, is our true Sabbath, our true rest. And the reason he he is our true rest is because only Jesus is big enough to give the rest that we're made to enjoy. It's the first thing I want us to see from those verses. Only Jesus is big enough to give us rest. See, when work becomes wearying, we need to remember that only Jesus Let me ask you this morning, what's stopping you finding rest for your soul this morning? Uh, what are you carrying that feels too big? Uh, maybe you're facing an illness with no hope of a cure. Uh, maybe you experience mental illness that makes connecting with the real world just sometimes feel impossible. Uh, Maybe it's the way someone has hurt you and it just feels too big to get over. Uh, Maybe it's just a relentless cycle of bad news and scrolling through the BBC News app that leaves us with this sense of being unsafe. And so we feel weary and we feel burdened. We feel anxious about life and where life might take us. And into those feelings, work can become a place of safety for us, a, a pseudo-saviour, can't it? So I know for, for, for some of you, your paid work might just be a, a refuge from the pressures of parenting. <coughs> You'd much rather spend longer in the office than be at home helping. For some of you, it might be a place to, either, to avoid feeling lonely. The, the work is the place where relationships are easy, so you can avoid a difficult marriage. Or escape the loneliness if you feel it of being single. Work becomes a pseudo-saviour. It's where we go to deal with our problems. Um, sorry to use a, a rugby illustration. Um, but as a, a famous rugby player recently died called Doddy Weir. Um, he died of a really sad M of MND. And as you listen to the testimonies about him, everyone says about him that he dealt with his diagnosis and his illness by working to raise awareness and money for research to, to do something to make this illness meaningful. Now, I don't want to dismiss the goodness of that. That's a good thing to do. Of course, it's right to raise money and to invest in, in scientific research to, to make uh, ease suffering for people. But so quickly, that kind of work becomes well. I can't control this, so I'm going to do something. I'm going to take control. Work becomes a kind of saviour. Work can often give us a sense of control in a world that feels out of control. Whether it's the need to straighten up your desk so everything is aligned perfectly. Or to be the boss that has control in this little sphere of the world to, where you can enact justice. Uh, maybe you're someone who feels on the edge of church here. And not really able to, uh, to get involved in the way that you'd like to. But at work, well you're someone. You're at the centre of this. Maybe you feel anxious this morning because you, you're fearful for your kids. Because you think, well, they're choosing the wrong path and they're going to end up in a work in work that won't give them all the things I hope it will give them. So do you see, work easily becomes disordered, doesn't it? Well, let me present to you Jesus. See, if you're new to Christianity, then I suspect you know that he was a real person, a real historical figure. But this invitation that he offers to each of you this morning might be a surprise to you, because his claim is not just to be a person that taught us how to live better in the world, but his claim, off his lips, is that he's the God who made everything, the creator of the universe, that. That God is his Father and that he is the eternal Son of the Father. Uh, Look down at sentence number 27. Look at that with me. All things, Jesus says, have been handed over to me by my Father. Everything has been committed to me, he says. The uh, The God that Jesus presents us with is the one who's in control... Of everything has responsibility over everything, for everything in the world. He's very big. Uh, a a favourite film of mine is uh, called Inception. I'm not going to explain the plot to you; uh, it'd be too confusing. Uh, but the lead character Cobb, stupid name I know, but that's his name, uh, and his team at one point in the film are discussing how they can isolate this, their mark, the person they want to, to do something to, um, they need 10 hours on a plane with this person. Uh, and they're discussing in this sort of very grand office that well, we, need to, we need to own the crew and we'll, we'll need to know who the passengers are around us, we'll, we'll need to know what plane, we'll need the right kind of plane that no one will walk through when we're doing the thing that we want to do. And they're sort of discussing how is this going to happen when uh, uh, one character, I think his name is Sato, says, well, I bought the airline. See what he's saying? The bigness of my ability makes all the problems disappear. I've bought the airline. And that's what Jesus says here. I'm the only one who's big enough to deal with your mental health, to deal with your addictions or your grief, or your work, or your rebellious child, or your very life. I'm the only one who's big enough to keep you safe. Because everything has been committed to me by my Father. All of creation. It's made by him and been given to me. Nothing is too big. Nothing. Not whatever you're struggling with, or the war in Ukraine, Jesus is big enough. See, when you meet Jesus and you start to think about how you're working to prove yourself or to belong or to fit in or to feel secure, to, to be known or loved or accepted, to be in control, to get power, and you come across Jesus, you think, well, that's stupid. And how ridiculous it is that when we when we fail or feel crushed or overwhelmed by our inability to take control or find a significance, when we become abusive or manipulative or resentful or selfish to protect what we think we need to get, or prickly or judgmental about others, in those moments what you're saying is, I can be big enough. I can be big enough. And Jesus you says you're not. You're not big enough, I'm big enough. I'm, I'm the only one who can give you rest. You see, we so often look to work to, to give us what we're made to find in the God who's already loved us. Come to me and rest. Everything already belongs to him. Everything has been committed to him. He's the son, the eternal son of the father. The the one uniquely placed to bring us to the God we were made to depend on and trust. I'm the only one, Jesus says, who can give you what you need. Only me. See, Jesus has bought the airline. He's got complete control. All authority. He's big enough to give us rest. So my question for you this morning is just very simple. Are you small enough to give it to him? With all the open tabs of life that you can't close because it just feels overwhelming, can you close the laptop lid and say, do you know what, am just resting you? See, in the context here, Jesus is being actually rejected by the people that met him. Uh, up to this point in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been doing many miracles, and uh, doing all sorts of wonderful things to show that, that he is the, the promised king who's come to bring eternal rest to the creation, to to deal with all evil and brokenness. He's the Messiah. That's where we've got to in, in Matthew's Gospel. He's God's divine king. The problem is the people, the religious leaders of the day, those that should have been waiting for the Messiah, keep rejecting him, uh, keep turning away from him. They, they think they're too big for Jesus. They think they're right. They, they, they can't trust him. Despite all the evidence that's plainly in front of them, they say, no, we'll do it better without you. And Jesus said, You can't do that. In fact, there's a really stark warning. A really stark warning. Uh, just have a look um, at verse 20. We didn't read this, but let me read it to you. Here's what Jesus says to those people that reject his invitation to rest in him. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be lifted to the heavens. No, you will go, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have been remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah, for Sodom on the day of judgment, than for you. Now there's lots to unpack there, but you see Jesus' point. Rejecting him, thinking you're too big for him, thinking you can live in his world that has been committed to him by his father without reference to him, means that you're in great danger. not just danger of feeling burdened and weary by the things life throws at us, but danger of losing the life that you were created to have forever. That's what the judgment is all about there. Only Jesus can give you the rest that you're made to have. These people, they're not small enough to admit they need to come to the one who's big enough. And so Jesus says, look, come to me. Verse 28. What does it mean to come to Him? Well, like we said earlier in our service, to be like little children. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned. Hidden these things, he's saying there, from those that think they can be big enough on their own. And revealed them to little children. Little children being those who know that they're, instinctively know that they're dependent. That's what children are like. They have no power in and of themselves. They're rely on another. Come like that, Jesus says. Only Jesus is big enough. Only Jesus is big enough. Secondly, only Jesus is the master who can bring true freedom. Do you see how a disordered view of work is so enslaving? So enslaving, isn't it? We have to serve work in order to get the significance, the money, the security, the acceptance, and all those things that we we long for. We, We have to serve it. We have to sacrifice it for it. We have to give up, maybe... If it becomes too much, you sacrifice your time with your kids, or time with friends, or whatever it might be, to to get the work that you think will give you the the things that only Jesus can give you. So we become weary, we become heavy laden. And Jesus says, look, I'm the only master that can give you rest. He says, look down at uh, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now it's really important that we understand that. Jesus is not saying freedom from all responsibility is what he's offering. He's not saying the rest I give will mean you can be whoever you want to be. No, we've all got to serve someone. It's how God's made us. We're all worshippers. All looking to something for our security and significance, our hope and our happiness. If you're someone that's sort of pushing away from Christianity, and then let me ask you, if you're, if you're pushing away from Jesus, saying, no, I'll find it somewhere else, please, please demand of the thing that you're going towards, of the same evidence that you demand of Christianity. We're all looking to something to worship, to give us security. Now, in the context of work, we think that that might be work. If I have that job, I'll know I'll have great significance. I'll know I'm useful or valuable or accepted or whatever it might be. But Jesus says, look, I'm the only one, I'm the only master that you were created to serve. You've got to wear my yoke. A yoke is something you put on an oxen so that it kept in the, going the right way. Now we struggle with that because in our culture we keep being told that freedom is the absence of all restraints, don't we? Any idea that I might be restricted in some way by another is, well, it's bad, we think. I need to be who I am, then I'll be truly free. The problem is that that's not true because you'll always look to something else even your own freedom as long as I'm really free then you'll start to despise everybody that puts any sort of constraints on your life you'll never be a great friend because the very idea of friendship means restricting myself for the good of another so we're never really free someone that lives like that is a selfish person and probably won't be much fun to be around if it's all about them and being who they want to be Now, freedom is never found in the absence of restraint. It's always in the presence of the right restraints, isn't it? A kite is not free when it is plunged underwater. It's only in the constraints of the air and the winds for which it was designed can it really fly. Similarly, a fish is not free when you liberate it from the constraints of water. No, it suffocates and dies. And Jesus saying, look, the reason you're weary and burdened is because the master you are made to be constrained to is me. And to go anywhere else is to suffocate you. can't give you what I, I'm the only one who can do it. You're made to live and flourish under my lordship. So you can't live a yoke-free life. You have to wear a yoke, and Jesus says, look, it's only my yoke that will liberate you. Now, why is that? Why is it only Jesus' yoke? What does he mean? Well, because Jesus is the only master, and you've got to hear this. Tune in now if you're falling asleep. Jesus is the only master who has served you. What does Jesus do with all of his authority? <laughs> I'm going to start crying. What does he do with all the power that's been entrusted to him? On a cross. For you. That's what he's like. He says, all the things, all the rejection of me All the distrust of me as though I'm bad and I hate you, I'm out to get you. All the rejection of me that says, your world is my world and I'll take control. All the filth that spills out of our life because of that. He takes it on himself. And owns it. He says to his father, treat me as they deserve to be treated. Reject me, don't reject them. Forgive them father, they don't know what they're doing is what he said on the cross. It's remarkable. That's our master. That's our king. That's the one we bowed before. It's not one whipping you to do things that you don't want to do. He's the one who says, look, I love you so much. I've made you mine. Now go and live in my world with me in charge and flourish. Be the creature that I created you to be. Friends, you can stop. Stop striving. Stop thinking you can get justice on your own. You're not big enough, no offence. You're just not big enough. Stop thinking you can deal with it and get acceptance on your own. You can't. You will always fail. You will never live up even to your own standards. Stop thinking that job will give you security. It might do in our culture for a bit. We might think doctors are brilliant for a bit. But... One day, culture will change its mind, and it'll be another job. (laughs) Only Jesus is big enough. Only Jesus is the master who served you. Do you see how liberating that is this morning? You can be, this morning, in church as a failure. Isn't that wonderful? I know we don't like talking about sin and being a failure. I think it's just the best news in the world. I can turn up here and go, do you know what? I am not the person you thought I was that if you saw my heart this week, you'd spit on me. You don't have to pretend. He's the only master who liberates us. See, Jesus is big enough. He's the only master who serves us, which means it's only Jesus can make you work, as you're made to. See, I said a few weeks ago that the purpose of work was to bring, bring God glory by giving ourselves for the sake of others. Well, how do you do that? You can only do that if you know that in him you've already got everything. See, when work becomes, what would, work can I do to make my parents proud? What work gives me the most money? What work makes me the most fulfilled? It become, we become selfish, self-obsessed. To bitter, resentful, all those things, judgmental, abusive, probably. But when you see that you in coming to Jesus, the servant king, that in him God has lavished on you every spiritual blessing forever, you are free to say, how, how can I love people? How can I give what's been given to me for the good of others? How can I work hard in my job not to win the approval of my boss or the acceptance of my colleagues but because I want to serve Jesus? Because I want to really love the people around them. Not for what they'll give me but because I just love them. You can go home on time and not overwork because you've got other responsibilities even if that means being overlooked in your promotion or being seen as someone who's let the team down, because your value is no longer in what people think of you. And you can stay, even if your boss doesn't see that you stayed and worked the overtime, because your value is not in what your boss thinks of you, but because you want to do a great job, and this job requires more time. Rather than always thinking, how can I make my work a place where I flourish, you can start to think, well, how can I make this a great place for other people to work? Instead of, what can I get out of this? It's, what can I give? There's a lovely chapter in 2 Corinthians 8, where a group of Christians in Macedonia are so thrilled with how loved they are in Jesus. That out of their poverty, they keep giving money to other Christians who need it. So freed from the love of money. What they had in Jesus meant they were liberated to just give generously. Man, can you imagine a world like that? Imagine a church like that. Where Sunday was about not, what can this place do for me? But how can I make this a great, a great experience for the person sat next to me? That's what Jesus offers. That's the invitation. Right, we're going to come to the Lord's Supper in a minute, and I don't want to steal Ben Sunder later as he leads us in that, but... If you're not someone yet trusting in Jesus and want to take hold of this life that he offers, then please take and eat. He offers you life, freedom, rest. Because as we take the bread and wine, we say to, it's not in me, it's only in who he is. Now, if that's not you this morning, if you've got loads of questions and doubts, please. Don't feel pressured. Uh, Allow the bread and uh, and juice to go, go by without any embarrassment. But here's the invitation that Jesus offers us all this morning. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.